Well, um, I want to welcome you again this morning. Um, if you are new today, or if you've been away for a while and you're back, I uh, want to let you know we're in the middle of a series, message series, called A Summer in Philippi. We are working through uh, the, the New Testament book of Philippians, uh, written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in a city called Philippi. And when I say it's written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, that just is another way of saying that it is God's word to us, also to the church in Philippi, but to us for our benefit, our instruction, for us to learn from and grow from. And uh, if you remember the message last week from Dan Russell, actually it was two weeks ago from Dan Russell, you'll remember that Paul emphasized the importance of us striving together for the sake of the gospel, even in the face of extreme suffering and persecution. Paul makes it clear uh, in in chapter 1, verse 28, that believers are not to be frightened in any way by our opponents, and in not being frightened by our opponents, who might threaten us with extreme suffering, extreme persecution, we demonstrate to them that we belong to God along with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and that's a cool thing. So um, he then moves into what's considered in chapter 2 to be the most profound, one of the most profound passages of Scripture in the New Testament. Um, so, I'm going to do my best to cover the, the overall intent of Paul's message in the context of the letter of Philippians, um, but just know that there is a lot packed into these 11 verses, and we're not going to get to all of it. Um, one of my professors, he wrote a, bro- a book on one word that's like this thick, one word in this passage, okay? I don't know how you do that, but he did it. And, uh, and so guys spend their entire lives studying this passage, trying to understand the implication of its meaning. Um, but we're going to look at it in the overall context of what Paul is trying to say to the Philippian church and also to us today. So um, let's go ahead and uh, dive in. Would you, let's stand one more time. We're going to read from scripture. So go ahead and stand with me. Chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 1 through 11. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross." For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these words from Paul that you guided and directed him as he wrote these words to the church in Philippi. Um, God, I ask that as we approach this, it's not an intellectual exercise. 
I pray, Father, that you would help us to humbly come before your word and ask ourselves the question, how do you want us to grow? How do you want us to change? How do you want us to better reflect our Lord and our Savior, Jesus? Help it to change our hearts and our actions. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, So, I want to share with you a story before we dive into the passage here. Um, So, when I was going through seminary, I was about halfway through. This is about probably two and a half to three years ago. I had, to ta- I had to go back to campus. All of my courses were distance learning, except for one. I had to go back to campus just because of the way the schedule worked out. I had to go back to, P- to Pennsylvania for a couple weeks, a two-week intensive course. And, uh, and so uh, those of you that know me um, know that I've been driving this car for a while, okay? That's a 2003 Ford Focus. So I hopped in my Ford Focus. I left Nampa, and I, I actually drove it to a sister church which uh, is near the, the Boise airport, hopped on a plane, went, took the course for a couple weeks, and came home. Um, and uh, got home, and my good friend Dan Frank, who's the pastor over there, he picks me up and drives me back to his church, uh, and, uh, and my car's right there where I left it. Except for, I walk up to it, I hit the button to open the hatch back there, and, uh, and I pull on it, and the hatchback goes, and it opens up. Well, that's what you would expect, right? Except for, I wasn't expecting that because those hydraulic rods that keep the hatchback open, those have been broken for like a year and a half, two years. And I had like this cut off piece of uh, galvanized pipe that I would like stick in there and I would, I would hold that thing open while I'm getting stuff in and out. And if it slipped, you'd hit your head and stuff. And, um, and so, so the fact that this thing opened and stayed open was, I was like, it's a miracle. Like, it's, it's working. It's, um, it's, the, it's the humidity or the temperature or something. I don't know. So it opens, and it stays open. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. That's weird. So I put my stuff in, um, and, I, and I close it. And then I, I get to looking at the back of it, and you can see um, to the left of that photo there, or the right of the photo, I should say, um, the, uh, the red tail, tail light there. Well, that had been I can't remember what happened exactly, but it had been cracked and was, um, was like, uh, was like, there's like water intruding into it. And I, there were some electrical issues and uh, it had magically healed itself. It was, I was like, that's just incredible. Um, so by this point, I'm like, okay, something weird is going on here with my car. And, uh, and I open up the driver's side door and it's like immaculate. It's clean. There's like, I, I couldn't even find a crumb. Like it had been like almost looked like it had been detailed. And I noticed that, like, the passenger side window wasn't taped on with duct tape. And by now, you know that I'm not very good at routine maintenance on my cars, right? But it, there was no duct tape. In fact, the mirror was, like, brand new. It had, it, it had been replaced. Um, and so, so I'm going, okay. I, by this point, I figured out what had happened. Um, somebody had stolen my car, and they cleaned it, and they fixed everything, and then they returned it. Yeah, I know. Weird, right? Um, <laughs> Now, I think my wife probably coordinated with, with, John, with John Loker, my good friend John Loker, um, who is very mechanically inclined. And, um, you know, he's, he's probably one of the most selfless people I know. Um, you ask him for help on a car or really anything else, but he's, his specialty is like his mechanics. Um, you ask him for help, he'll help you. Because he enjoys serving, he enjoys giving of himself, his time and his resources to help people. And so he uh, coordinated with my wife to come get my car, and he had fixed everything. He cleaned it out. Now, John had 
his own life. He had his own kids, his own family, his own job. He's, um, he's with the Air Force, and he's a busy guy. He has a lot going on, and he's working towards um, his flying license because it looks like God is leading him in the direction of serving with Mission Aviation Fellowship. He's a busy guy. He serves regularly in his church. Uh, and so, uh, so there are a lot of other things he could be doing, but instead of looking to the things first that he could have been doing, he looked to somebody else to serve them and does a good job of serving his family at the same time, by the way. He just does a tremendous job. And by the way, that's not the end of the list with this car. He's helped me with a lot of other things on this car. Twice we've replaced the clutch. Engine mounts have been replaced. The power steering pump, fluid pump. Um, It's been a good car. It doesn't sound like it, but it's actually been a really good car. John has helped us a lot on it. Brakes have been replaced. So John's fingerprints are all over this car. Um, And you know what? Uh, he He does that with everybody. It's not just me. And so, yeah, I know, right? Dan Russell knows. So <laughs> he, he's, he's a generous guy. In Philippians 2, 1 through 11, we find a picture of somebody, Jesus Christ, who gives a perfect example of what it means to humbly serve other people. Paul gives us that, that picture, this idea of humility and service to others. We get a picture of Jesus here that um, he, he's not pursuing his own glory alone, but he is, he is looking to serve others and give of himself, greatly give of himself to serve other people. And he undergoes extreme shame and excruciating pain to do so. And we're aren't, we aren't just given a, um, a picture of Jesus here without a call to action. So Jesus, um, so Paul in this passage, he... Uh, he actually gives us the reason for our action in verses 5 through 11. But we're going to start with verses 1 through 4. So the reason for our action is rooted in verses 5 through 11, but he leads with what we're to do about it. But as we're going through this, two things I want you to keep in mind. First one is, uh, is that when we are all working together to match the mind of Christ, joy is at its peak. You're going to see that message all throughout this passage of scripture. And the, and, uh, and the second thing is that Paul didn't write this just to you. And when I mean you, like you personally, like an individual, he wrote it to a church, right? When he wrote these letters, he wrote them collectively to a church, um, exhorting them, encouraging them to do these things collectively together. So when we're all working to, to, together to match the mind of Christ, joy is at its peak. So let's, uh, let's walk through verses 1 through 4 again um, and, uh, and see what Paul has to say. Verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, I want to stop here for a second because I had a difficulty finding a translation that I felt like really relayed what Paul was saying here well. He's not saying, hey, if you happen to find encouragement in Christ, or if you happen to find consolation of love in Christ, if there happens to be fellowship, if any affection and mercy, then you can go do these things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you have found these things in Christ. Another way to translate it is, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there's consolation of love, since there's fellowship in the Spirit, and since there's affection and mercy, do verse 2. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying here. It's like, um, it's like, these things are there in Christ. 
Therefore, verse 2, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So, uh, take a look at this. Uh, Paul is saying, because of these things, these benefits that you have because of being in Christ Jesus, because you are a follower and believer in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God's spirit and his love has been poured out into your heart, and you receive those things, you are to match it. Here's how you're to match it. Since you have consolation of love in Christ, match it by loving one another. You should see that in the passage there. Since you have fellowship with the Spirit because of Christ, match it by being unified in that same Spirit. Since you have affection and mercy because of Christ, match it by intense, purposeful focus towards the same end. And what do I mean by that? Um, so Paul, Paul actually elaborates on that. What is that end, that, that overall purpose that we're to focus on intently together? Um, he says it in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In a nutshell, Paul's saying this. We must reject putting ourselves first and embrace putting others first. So, have you heard that in this day and age... You have to love yourself, and then you can love other people. I've heard that a lot. Um, I have family members that say that. Oh, you've gotta, uh, you can't love other people until you love yourself first. Okay? We must reject putting ourselves first and embrace putting others first. Have you heard that uh, you need to look out for number one, yourself? And then if you have time, worry about other people. That is the opposite of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's the opposite of the gospel. It's the opposite of what Christ did for us. And uh, if we're united in Christ, if our eyes have been opened to the truth of the gospel and what he's done for us, that he gave his life for us on the cross for us, he died that humiliating death for us, and that he rose again for us, that should, that should move us to action. Um, Paul says, as a result, make joy complete by being of that same mind that Jesus was when he gave himself for us. Um, He says to be like Christ, do it united, to do it striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. He says, reject the notion that you are to put yourself first, but you're to embrace others first. And Paul makes it clear in verse 2 when he says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. Uh, he makes, he makes this, this idea clear. When we are all working together to match the mind of Christ, joy is at its peak. Guess what? He says it again. Verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So he's taken a step further. He do, he, it's, not just, uh, it's not just showing the same benefits to one another um, that we received in Christ, but it's also... Uh, Allowing our minds to become more like Jesus' mind. Adopting the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Um, So what is his mindset and his attitude? Let's take a look at it. We're going to look at verses uh, 5 and 6 to know what that is. So adopt, whoops, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself 
by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. I'm going to focus in for just a moment on that verse right there. Um, Jesus didn't hold on to his position, did he? He didn't grasp that, that word there. Um, exploited is, is kind of like grasp or hold on to really tight. Um, he did not consider his position or his form as something to be, uh, quality with God as something to be exploited, but he held it with open hands for a time. He gave of himself and something of himself to step down and serve. Um, so I have a question for you. Where do you find your self-worth? Do you find it in your career? Do you find it I know that I struggle with this, guys. I'm just going to be really honest with you that I struggle with finding my self-worth in what I do um, and in sometimes the title that I hold. I've got to hold on to that title. Jesus did not. He stepped down and he humbled himself, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or tightly held on to, but he held it with an open hand. Uh, an open hand. He gave something of, of, of himself. Um, he did it selflessly, and he did it in a way that was very sacrificial. So Paul tells us that we're to match that mindset, that we are to not hold our position tightly. Uh, instead of holding on to position and influence, Paul says to do this. Like Jesus, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. So we hold our position loosely, and we're to serve others. And as we do that, it points to Jesus. Hopefully, as we do that, it points to Jesus. And this isn't anything new, by the way. I want to point out to you guys, um, we've got Mark ten forty-five. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. This is Jesus talking about himself. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, uh, have you ever washed somebody's feet before? Show of hands. Wash your feet. Wash, not your feet, but somebody else's feet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That was about, yeah, in the first hour we had like about that ratio. So, um, so Ryan, Pastor Ryan and I talked about this and uh, we thought that foot washing was an excellent illustration of the humility and, and servanthood that Jesus took on. But we're not going to wash your feet. Okay, all right, yeah. Um, yeah, we're not going to have you wash the person's feet next to you either, okay? No, we're not going to touch your feet. I know that that's, you know, kind of a weird thing for some people. So we won't do that. However, I do want, I do want to get you in the right mindset, okay, as we're thinking about what it means to not be served, but to serve, and do that in a humble way. Um, so, so this is Queen Elizabeth, right? Okay, we've got the Queen of England, okay? Imagine with me for just a moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set, this is a hypothetical situation, okay? Imagine with me for a second that Queen Elizabeth walks in that door, and somebody turns and sees her, and they gasp, it's Queen Elizabeth. And everybody else turns, and they go, it's Queen Elizabeth. And, you know, we're all we're standing, right? Because the queen is in the room. You stand, and the, the queen is in the room. 
and people are pulling out their phones, they're taking pictures, they're hanging on every word, she's walking through, she's coming up the aisle, and she's talking to people, and you're asking yourself, how do I act when royalty is in the room? Can I take a selfie with royalty? Is that okay? Will they, like, tackle me if I try to take a selfie with her? Um, And you're whispering to people, like, what's the proper decorum? How do I address royalty? I don't even know how to do this. This is Queen Elizabeth. I mean, what do we do? People are in awe of Queen Elizabeth being here in our midst. But then, but then, something amazing happens. She looks at you, and she says, please sit down in this chair. And she pulls out a basin, fills it with water. She washes a cloth in it, and she gets down on her hands and her knees. And she takes off your shoes, she takes off your socks, and she washes your right foot cleans off the rag, washes your left foot. The Queen of England, okay? (laughs) So, probably a lot of things going through your mind, like, that's weird, or... (laughs) um, But I'm willing to bet that maybe something... I mean, considering she has a ton of people that work for her, probably this thought going through your mind, it, it could be, surely someone so important shouldn't wash my feet. Surely someone so important shouldn't wash my feet. Look what Jesus says. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. The God of the universe, the one who made you and me, everything we see, everything we know, got down on his hands and his knees, and he washed the dirty, stinky, sweaty, smelly feet of his disciples. That is humble service. And he's the God of the universe. He served And he served, he poured himself out, and he served. But he didn't just wash feet, okay? He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, the God of the universe, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, look what he did. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross, Not only did he give up his position and come to earth to serve God and serve us, but he underwent um, extreme torture and excruciating pain. Um, He went to his death. He underwent execution. Uh, Death on a cross um, was one of the worst ways to die. It was one of the most humiliating ways to die. You're in a public place. You're hung on a tree. Your family and friends are just out of reach. They can't do anything for you. They have to just watch this happen. You have to watch them cry over you as you die. And people walk by, and they don't say, hey, it's going to be okay, do they? They shout insults. They hurl insults at you. They tell you you're the scum of the earth as you're dying, as the life slips out of you. Can you imagine hearing those words as you die? The last words that you hear. Humiliating. The second thing is it was agonizingly slow. And it was excruciatingly painful. 
Um, Something we should realize, though, Jesus did it willingly. He stepped in, and he did it willingly. He did it for me. He did it for you. It is in his—it's in the very nature of God to think of others' needs first. It's in the very nature of God to love extravagantly and to put others' needs above his own. It's the essence of humility to think of others as more important and put their needs above our own needs, even if it comes at a great cost. Christ did this, and Paul is telling us to match the mind of Jesus. At this point, uh, so Paul kind of turns his attention. We're going to move into verse 9 in just a moment here. Um, Paul used like a secretary to help dictate his letters, a lot of his letters. Maybe some of them he didn't. Some people think it was either a common practice at the time or is because he had some sort of physical uh, limitation that kept him from being able to write all of his letters. Um, and so occasionally you'll see something that's like, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand which serves as a sign of his authenticity. So a lot of, um, they think that, okay, that spot he wrote in his own hand just to serve uh, in that. But I was just imagining, okay, if Paul was dictating this letter up to this point and he gets you know, to chapter 2, which wasn't chapter 2, but he's dictating it, and, uh, and he goes through verses 1 through 8, and he's talked about the amazing, perfect service, humility, and obedience of Jesus, and he just stops and now he begins to worship. And this is what he has to say. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Absolutely, amen. He didn't cling to position but rather he gave of himself to serve. He became a servant, and in doing so, he humbled himself and even placed himself under human authorities. The things that he's created, he placed himself under their authority to the point of a shameful, excruciatingly painful death, and because of this, God has highly exalted him. There are very few today across the face of the earth that do not know the name of Jesus. And Paul says, Paul says that one day every person will know that there is no name that is higher than the name of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the Lord that we serve. Um, Jesus is unique in this way, and this is Paul's way of saying that Jesus is the supreme example. He serves as the absolute standard of what it means to humbly serve and sacrifice. And for this, he's highly exalted. Um, it's, an, it's a profound example. And the fact that the God of the universe would serve in such, in such a way that he would come and he would serve and he would die a sinner's death is profound. And it should, it should, stir, it should stir thoughts. But more than that, it should stir feelings. So much so that we want to do something about it. We should want to be moved to action. And that's Paul's point in this entire passage, isn't it? We should be moved to want to do something. If you are in Christ and you receive the benefits of that, if you've had your eyes open to and experienced the profound implications of what it means to follow Jesus and be in Christ, follow his example is Paul's urging. Follow his example. Do likewise. 
And remember, this is not written to just like you, just you. It's written to collective. Um, it's written to the entire Philippian church. Um, and, and so Paul is really saying this, when we are all working together to match the mind of Christ, joy is at its peak going all the way back to the first four verses, right? He gives us what we're supposed to do. So question, how do you live this out? (laughs) Save people, serve people. That's just my way of saying that we need to follow in Jesus' footsteps. If you are in Christ, if you are saved, if you trust him as Lord and Savior, if you know that he died for your sins— that you've repented of those sins, you've turned, you're following him, you believe in his resurrection, and that life that comes from him is now in you. You serve people. That, that is part of being a follower of Jesus. And so here's some ways that we can talk about this. Mind match Jesus together. The passage you can't get away from, we're doing it together. You're not doing it alone we pray together, we study scripture together, we get together and we ask the tough questions. I miss my life group so much. Um, we're on a summer break right now, and, um, and this is something that, that um, I, I love doing. I love getting together with brothers and sisters. How is God working in your life? Tell me. I want to hear about it. Uh, I love hearing about it. Um, ask me the tough questions. Are you walking with God? How's your prayer life? Are you in scripture regularly? How are things going with your wife? Um, Hey, are your priorities straight right now? Are they in line with what God says is is important? Those type of questions, we need to mind match Jesus together. Um, More than that, we need to ask, are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you humbly serving? Um, Another way, a small act of service faithfully for a long period of time. This is, uh, this is something I was challenged with recently as I, Rachel and I, we, we read through a book um, for our devotionals. There's actually several books. Uh, recently, we just finished a book on marriage, and they suggested that a small act of service faithfully for a long period of time is uh, a better way to show somebody that they are loved and valued by God and by you than a one-time big thing, like I'm going to take you out to dinner and knock your socks off, okay? You know, um, small acts of service. So when I was thinking about this, I thought, okay, I was in the mindset of my marriage, like do the dishes, vacuum, make the bed, you know, wake up and occasionally do breakfast, that sort of thing. Um, all are good. And, and, uh, and I threw this out there to Ryan and, and the other guys, and they're like, oh, it's obviously you're thinking about your wife there. So there's some other examples. And, um, and so they, they gave some suggestions, and then they're really good ones. Um, you could send cards to people. You could take a friend out to coffee regularly and just talk. Just listen. How can I pray for you? Uh, one that I, um, I just loved that came up was we were thinking a small act of service faithfully for a long period of time. Um, those of you who don't know Steve in our church, he's the one that hands out the bulletins as you're walking in. Steve faithfully every week shows up and mows the lawn at our involved training center. And he like, he like meticulously, like on his hands and knees, he's got one of those edgers that's like handheld and you just, I'm like, 
watching, I saw him once and I'm like, that's crazy. I didn't know that those still existed. He's like trimming, meticulously trimming and doing the edging. Um, and, and I don't know that he gets a lot of appreciation. Thank you, Steve. Um, but it's a small act of service, is it not? Um, and you know what, honestly, it, I was like, that makes me, actually, that makes me feel loved and valued because I live right across the street and I think I'd probably be the one doing it if he wasn't doing it. And so, um, but as a church, it should make us feel loved and valued, should it not? Another, another thing, um, I was just reflecting on this and um, <laughs> I haven't done a great job about this the last year, but uh, my dad feels loved and valued when I take him out to lunch for his birthday. And he gets that chance. We usually carve out like 90 minutes to a couple hours. We just talk. And, uh, and, and, and it makes him feel loved and valued by me and by God. Um, it shows him that I care. Small act of service faithfully for a long period of time. What's one area of your life you've kept for yourself? Maybe it's me time. Have you heard that? Um, I'm not saying you don't need rest. We should rest in God. We should rest in his word. We should rest in prayer. Um, but if there's an area of your life that you've kept for yourself, give it up. Give it to God. Give it to somebody else. Jesus spent his life, literally spent his life for other people. Um, if you're comfortable, close your eyes with me for a second. Um, I want you to imagine something. So go ahead and close your eyes. Imagine with me for a moment if we all practice this concept. This concept of when we are all working together to match the mind of Christ. We're rejecting the cultural norm of putting ourselves first. Instead, we're putting others' needs above our own needs. We're willing to profoundly sacrifice for one another. We demonstrate humility and love, and it's contrary to what we see out in the world. Imagine if we were the embodiment of what Jesus said when he said, by this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And imagine if, when we say we're followers of Jesus, people know by looking at our own lives what Jesus was all about. He was about humility, servanthood, and love at a great cost because they see those things in our lives. They'd see us here at Involved Church living out the gospel as Jesus called us to live out the gospel. They would see us working together to match the mind of Christ, and we would be joyful, filled with joy because of it. In the midst of whatever there is, Philippians was written to a church undergoing extreme persecution, and Paul says, have Joy, make joy complete by having the same mind of Christ. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we come before you today and we ask for your help. In a sense, we're overwhelmed by the example of Christ, and we should be. He gave everything. Lord, I, I pray that we would pursue Christ-likeness. We would be like him. Um, help us to pursue that daily. I pray that we would count others' needs more important than our own. 
Help us to look not only to our own interests. God, you know I struggle with that. I know there are many here who probably struggle with that too. But help us to look to the interests of others. Help us to reject the notion that we come first ourselves and embrace putting others first. I pray that you would help us to sacrificially serve and give of our time and our resources. I pray, um, I pray you'd change us. I pray you would, um, you would challenge us, convict us. <laughs> Lord, um, and I pray that as we begin matching the mind of Christ, that we would love each other, serve one another, and that the world would look at our church and they would say, God is at work in that church, that those people, they're the hands and feet of Jesus, and they, without a doubt, love one another, and they love and value us too. There's something different from the world there. I pray, Lord, that you would do that work in us. We love you. I pray that you would help us to live this out in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen.